0: guy just can mute me whenever so some of you may run up there and ask him to but uh he asked me uh some countries uh when a missionary presents you don't want to put it on social media just due to the sensitivity of going to that country as far as it may be a little dangerous for the missionary and he asked me that and uh, i told him there's there's none of that for nigeria it's just you probably won't give many any likes while i'm talking but um, that's all right as well but uh, my name's daniel lang my wife is in the nursery and then you'll have to pray for us. We're trying to, uh, uh, we have our, our son, he won't sit still during the service, but uh, he's only six months old, so we'll give him a break for that one. Um, but they're back there, and she does all the hard work, I just get up here and gab. so um, You know, when he said we were related to Dave and Karen, and uh, I was thinking, man, would that be a good thing if they know that, or a bad thing? So I guess, <laughs> I guess you can decide that, but um Okay, okay. If it was the other way around, it might not have been so good. I guess that's good to know for sure. That is uh, uh, definitely good to know. But uh, if you'll take your Bibles and go to Psalms uh, 57, before I do that, I'm just going to give a little bit of my testimony. I know we have about a four and a half minute video, and I thought about showing it twice. But for one, I've seen that video about 100,000 times, and I'm tired of it. And you'd probably get tired of it after once, so we'll just show that in the, uh, uh, show that in the morning service. Now, what I'm going to do, uh, what, what time are we done, Pastor? I'm sorry. 45. All right, 1.45, he says. So No, I'm joking. Uh, We've got about 30 minutes here. Now, um, I'm going to give a little of my testimony, and then I'm not going to say much about the country because I'll say a little bit about that in the service after you watch the video. If you do have questions this morning... Uh, probably Sunday school would be the time. Now I know uh, most of the time people don't know what to ask, and that's perfectly fine. So, but I, if you've got something you'd love to ask, uh, I'd love to answer it for you. Um, but uh, so my uh, I grew up in Maple Rapids, Michigan. So 35 miles north of here, and, or something like that. And I would say minutes, but it just depends if I'm driving or my wife's driving how far away it is. And uh, but my dad pastors at Hope Bible Baptist Church. Uh, we just celebrated in October his 30th year pastoring there. It's a large town, about 500 people, and uh, that's where I grew up. We boast one blinking, I think you were there recently, uh, we boast one uh, uh, blinking yellow light, uh, Dewey's Trading Post, we've got a saloon, a post office, a pizza place, and a barber shop, and a few houses, and that's, uh, uh, I grew up outside of Maple Rapids, but that's where I grew up, and uh, my dad's my hero, uh, he's always worked a second job while pastoring, and he's found time for me, and uh, seven others like me, except they're probably a little better, but uh, Uh, And my dad's my hero. There aren't many weeks that go by. I don't uh, call him for something. I remember growing up, I thought, you know, I'm the pastor's kid. In Sunday school, you know, when I have to fill out answers and stuff, I'll just take them home. My dad's a pastor. He knows everything. He can fill it out for me and take it. And uh, that didn't fly very well. Uh, Whenever I ask my dad a question about the Bible, most of the time he says, well, why don't you go look it up? And I think, well, I know I can look it up, Dad. Why don't you just tell me? But uh, I'm thankful for that. He taught me to study and figure out for myself. And I'm so thankful for that. But I was telling your pastor a little bit, when I was four years old, uh, four or five, somewhere in there, I don't remember an exact day or whenever, but my parents would read us uh, stories and a lot of times it was about a missionary, men like uh, David Livingston and Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor and Micah Stanley and uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I remember as a little boy, I heard the story about David Livingston and of course he was a pathfinder in Africa and uh, one day I'd like to visit, I was just with a missionary at a conference who's been to the place where David Livingston started the first church in Botswana. I don't know if it was Botswana back then, Africa changes quite a bit, but I'd love to go see that place one day. But anyway, uh, I remember hearing a story, David Livingston was out in the bush with some people and a lion attacked him and clamped onto his shoulder. And he actually, uh, David Livingston uh, was hurt for the rest of his life. He could never use that arm like he wanted to, but he killed the lion. So I remember as a little boy thinking, God, if you'll use me, I'll go kill lions in Africa for you. And uh, now I hope I never see a lion in Africa, to be honest. Um, but uh, I remember that, and I think God put that in my heart as a young boy, uh, because uh, I love sports and I love hunting. And uh, this past weekend was great. Uh, I haven't gone hunting much since I went to Bible college in, in 2013. So I got to go hunting. I got a deer. And then I got to watch, uh, uh, I don't know if this is sensitive, but I got to watch Michigan beat Michigan State, which is always a, uh, which is always a good thing for me and it hasn't happened as much lately as i'd like so i had a good weekend and the last few days have been great um, and i just lost my train of thought but anyway wherever i was going it was important but um, oh <laughs> i guess so i guess so we probably shouldn't get too much into that so i'll get, I'll get i might get kicked out yeah <laughs> i got to be careful yeah <laughs> thank you sir but anyway, growing up there, and uh, man, now I'm all lost, but uh, <laughs> Uh, so uh, as a young boy, God put that in my heart. When I was uh, 11 years old, February 3rd of 2006, I was at a, uh, uh, a revival meeting at my dad's church. He had the same preacher come in every year and preach a week-long revival. And uh, I was sitting in the front row, and I had said a prayer as a four-year-old, but I didn't remember much. And sometime when I was 8, 9, 10, somewhere in there, I don't remember exactly when it started, but I started understanding what I was hearing preached, and I realized that I was on my way to hell. And I started realizing, you know, that I was a sinner and those things that I had heard my whole life, but they were just starting, at least for me, to register. And I remember thinking, well, I know I'm lost on my way to hell, but my family thinks I'm saved and I'm the pastor's kid, so if, if, I, uh, if I get saved, I'll embarrass my dad. Of course, now I know how false that thinking was, but to, I struggled with that for, and again, I don't know how long, it was about a year or two, I forget when it first started, but I'd go to sleep, not every night, but some nights. And I started understanding things like the rapture and things like that. And I thought, man, if Jesus comes back tonight, my family's going to be gone. and I'm going to be laying here by myself in the morning. And this didn't happen very often, but I remember once or twice maybe, I woke up and I looked around at my brothers and made sure everyone was still there. And... Um, but so at that uh, revival meeting, the past, the, uh, evangelist preached on Luke chapter 16, uh, the rich man in hell. And I knew he was preaching just to me in that whole auditorium. I knew he was staring into my eyeballs the whole service. I'm sure he was. And, uh, he preached. And when the invitation time came, which he preached forever, but I was sitting there knowing the whole time I needed to get saved. And when the invitation came, I ran to the altar. And uh, my junior church teacher came over and asked me what was wrong. I was crying. And he took me to the back. My dad's auditorium is long. And uh, right as you come into the doors, on the left, there's a nursery. And that was the nursery back then. Even it's been remodeled since. But, and for some reason, he took me uh, by the baby changing station. So I got saved by the baby changing station in Maple Rapids, Michigan. And they've remodeled, so it's a different baby changing station now. But, uh, of course, that day changed my life. And I remember even at that age, I mean, I would grow up in a pastor's home. I don't think I'd done anything terribly wrong, but I knew that the first sin I ever had done was bad enough to send me to a devil's hell. And I realized that and got saved about a year, uh, yeah, a little over a year after that at a youth conference. Uh, I was called to preach. I was a seventh grader, and my two brothers were sitting on either side of me, and they were older, and in my mind, they were uh, they were better at sports, they were more mature. And I remember knowing God wanted me to preach, and I thought, God, you can use my brothers. I mean, they're awesome, but you can't use me. And I argued with myself, and uh, myself didn't answer back, so I wasn't uh, too crazy. But uh, uh, and I remember thinking that God couldn't use me, but uh, I just said yes. I said, God, you're God. I know that. I've learned about you, and I know you're God. So if you think you can use me, I guess you can do whatever you want with what I have. And so I said yes. And about a year after that, when I was 13, at a missions conference at my dad's church, uh, the preacher preached. I don't remember much about what he preached, but I remember knowing. In, uh, some people surrender to the will of God. Uh, I suppose you could call it that, but a surrender would depict a struggle. And I never really struggled with being a missionary. I was hoping God would let me. And so, but it was that uh, that night. A Saturday night. I don't remember the exact date. It was either end of February, or early March. Um, I felt God would allow me to serve him on a foreign field one day, and I've never really wanted to do anything else, uh, mostly because I knew the NBA was out. I learned that pretty early, um, but uh, I love sports, and I still love to play them, um, but uh, and so I knew I wanted to be a missionary, and long story, but uh, I, when I was a freshman in Bible college, God called me to a different African country than we're going to, and again, I'll maybe mention that a little bit more, but God closed that door opened another door. So we're going to Nigeria, West Africa, to work with Brother Mark Holmes. He's been there, uh, it's a little over 15 years now. Um, uh, You'll see in the video some of the things he's been able to do, and uh, essentially we're going to go learn from him and go from there wherever God takes us. I don't know, I I think that'll be in Nigeria still to go start a work and uh, start a Bible institute, and uh, I believe a Nigerian can reach a Nigerian better than I can reach a Nigerian. And our goal is to go and train nationals. Yes, go soul winning. Yes, win souls, of course. But uh, as in, it's happened in many third world countries. Missionaries can be there and then one day they can't be there anymore. Uh, The government's change, and I want it to be the day I can't be there anymore. I want there to be churches pastored by nationals because the nationals are never going to have to leave. And uh, the nationals can actually go places I could never dream of going and break barriers that I can never dream of breaking down. And uh, so our goal is to reach the nationals and train them. Brother Holmes has a Bible institute and a Bible college. I don't know God would have to. I don't know if God wants me to do a Bible college exactly, but we'll for sure have some training and train those nationals. And I'll I'll say a little bit more about that. One stat I'd like to give is uh, Nigeria is 200 million people, and it's the seventh largest country in the world. Which if you didn't know that, that's okay. I I learned that about a year ago, and. Um, which most time you don't think of a country in Africa as being in the top 10 in population yeah. in the entire world, but it's a huge country. They're growing, and the video it says it's 196 million, and that was just put together in January, and it's our, it's it's growing rapidly. And it's a country. It's about I think 50,000 square miles larger than Texas. So it's that's the one I relate it to when people ask how big. It's similar to Texas, a little bigger, with 200 million people crammed into it. And uh, There are about 150 gospel preaching churches that I know of. There's probably more. Most of those pastored by nationals, and uh, which I'm so thankful for every one of them. I uh, really am. The gospel is being preached in Nigeria already, for sure. Um, but if you had one church for every 100,000 people, you need 2,000 churches just to reach everybody, which obviously you need more than one church for 100,000 people. So we're excited to, for one, go start some churches, but train nationals to start churches themselves and uh, send missionaries out of their own church, and we're excited about uh, going and doing that. But if you'll take, I guess if you took your Bible there, I better get mine there. Psalms 57, this is a, a kind of a lesson God gave me. Actually, I was, we were in Nigeria for our survey trip in September. We were there, we were actually in the country for 18 weeks, and I wouldn't advise flying with a four-month-old for 28 hours, so... Uh, Just if anyone was planning on doing that, I wouldn't advise it, but no, God gave us traveling mercies, and I probably bugged my wife more than Ezekiel did, but uh, uh, we were there for about 18 days in the country, and uh, the video you'll see later is a lot of Brother Holmes pictures because I hadn't been there yet, and uh, we're trying to update it right now. we're, We're almost there, but it's still the older video, and many of the faces you'll see I actually got to meet personally. There's many pastors on there. Bible college students, and it's hard for me to explain the feeling of going to the place that I know God wants me, but I had never seen it before, and uh, God did a work in our lives for sure while we were there. But uh, we'll read, I was going to read the whole chapter, but we're just going to read a couple of the first two verses and then kind of go down from there, um, and we'll see uh, what time we have for that. But uh, uh, the Bible says in Psalms 57, 1, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee, yea in the shadow of thy wings I will make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send for send, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. You know, I think we'll read the whole thing. It won't be that long. The Bible, uh, My soul is among lions, in verse 4, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for thy steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and harp, and I myself will awake early. I will praise Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto Thee among the nations, for Thy mercy is great under the heavens, and Thy truth under the clouds. Be Thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Thy glory be above all the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for who You are. Thank you for allowing us to be here. I know most of us probably drove in ourselves. Thank you for the transportation you provided or if somebody gave us a ride, whatever it may be. And thank you for the nice warm building and the facilities here. And for the people, Father, I know you're most interested in the people here this morning. And Thank you so much for that. And I ask that you'd only allow me to say what you'd want said. And don't let me say anything you don't want said, Father. And it's in your son, Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'd like to talk just for the next few minutes. Uh, David's one of my favorite. We call him characters. Sometimes we don't. I know we know, but sometimes we don't link the fact that the Bible's a history book. And it's way more than that, but it is a history book. And we call them Bible characters, which they are. But I love David and uh, uh, I love reading about him, love studying. I love finding great men and, and then finding what made them great. Of course, in the Bible, for sure, and you can do that. But even in the sports world and the business world and uh, in different areas, I'm reading a book forget who wrote it right now but it's talking about seven great men from the past and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer I think his name was he was a in Germany I've just started his story so I I don't know all the facts yet but I'm reading about actually David Livingston's in that book and some different ones but I love finding what made people great Uh, behind every championship in sports uh, we see when the athlete will raise the uh, raise the trophy and we love that but behind that trophy raising was literal countless hours of work and effort in early mornings and late nights. And any uh, most CEOs or of a company, or most even small businesses, when they're successful, we see that. But we don't always think about all the hours. And many of you here have probably been in a career for years or just starting. And you may be at a point in your career where you're probably better off than you were when you started. But uh, and it looks good now, but all the work that went into that. And I love seeing what makes great people great. And I love, I've love. i got some lessons I teach on David about what made him great. And, of course, we know David uh, uh, did so many things while he was a young boy that enabled God to use him. And that's why we know David as a great man. And that's why we know David, as the Bible calls him, a man after God's own heart. And as far as I know, I don't think God uses that phrase particular, particularly about any other person. But I love reading about David. But here, David, and this, is, this psalm is kind of in the setting where, if you remember, David was running from Saul. And uh, David had opportunity to kill him. And I'm sure at this point, David was wondering. He, know, he knows he was promised the kingdom, yet the existing king is still alive. And of course, uh, uh, we look back into the Bible, and we know what's going to happen. But as these stories played out, the people involved didn't know what was going to happen. When David went to kill the giant, he knew God would take care of him, and he knew, uh, he knew God had him, but David didn't know exactly the outcome and uh you think of uh the the three men thrown into the fire we look back and say well yeah of course stand up and uh stand up for what you believe god's gonna save you well they didn't know that at that point and they knew god would take care of them and whether that was living or dying they were ready for it but so we have the opportunity to look back and see what happened but here david i can imagine running from saul he's away from his home he's living in the hills living on uh um who knows what they were eating whatever they could find out imagine and and um uh, But I love in verse 7, and I don't have time to get into all of it, but David says, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. I'm sure everyone in here, we could take time, and everyone in here could tell us about rough times you've been through. Probably most of us can tell us about rough times you're going through, even this morning. But I wonder if we can learn to have a fixed heart. And I'd like to just give us a few quick things of uh, where David's heart was fixed on and why he was able to fix his heart on God. And we see, I think the first thing we see is that David wouldn't let anything shake him. He, he describes some of these, he actually used the words uh, calamities. Calamity is ruin and destruction. When I think of a calamity, I don't think of anything good. When I think of a calamity, I don't think of everything being sunshine and roses and beautiful I think of calamities as earthquakes and, of course, you look on the news and uh, tsunamis and flooding and uh, different things that are happening here in the United States and all around the world and wildfires and the calamities. And uh, David talks about the calamities that happen in verse 1, the end of it, uh, until these calamities be overpassed. He's talking to God, waiting for the calamities to be overpassed, done with. But this is while he's in the calamity, mind you, and we've got to remember that. He described these calamities. He had to leave his best friend, member David and Jonathan. And wouldn't it be crazy to uh, have your best friend be the son of the man who's trying to kill you? And can you imagine the emotions of what Jonathan thought of his dad? And, of course, Jonathan obeyed really to the death. And, uh, I mean, really, uh, uh, Jonathan, I think, was a great man, and we don't read much about him. And I think a lot of it's Saul's fault. And he followed his dad and different, different things. But David had to leave his best friend. Uh, David had to leave his best friend. He was running. Saul was trying to kill him. Uh, remember David would come in and play the instruments for Saul? Uh, David never, uh, 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 I don't think when David did that, when David killed the giant that saved Israel, you'd think he probably thought at that moment, like I'm going to be good with the king of Israel that I just saved for the rest of my life, you'd think. And uh, he, he let her, Saul should have done that. If Saul had been right with God at that point, I'm sure Saul would have been the giant slayer. Uh, I, I would imagine that's what would have happened. Of course, we know Saul messed up years before this. And uh, one of the differences between David and Saul is they both sinned. They both messed up. We're not going to look into it today. But of course, David is an adulterer, a murderer. Everything that we think of is probably one of the worst sins. <laughs> David did it. David had a big old book of sins. He'd done it, and he bought the t-shirt. And uh, David knew what that was. But... Saul, the difference between them is, if you remember, when Saul sinned and when he was confronted with his sin, what happened? He always had somebody to blame. Uh, The people did it. Uh, uh, When Samuel would come to him and he was supposed to kill everyone, he had an excuse. He had a reason. We have a man in my sending church, which is actually my brother pastors in uh, Muncie, Indiana, probably about three hours. Uh, It's about an hour and 20 minutes south of Fort Wayne, right there on 69. And that's our sending church. That's where we live in Muncie, Indiana. And there's a man in that church, Tom's his name, and he always has a saying. Uh, He says, every Christian, everybody walks around with a pocket full of justification. We're always ready to pull out some justification on uh, why we either can't do right or why we just did wrong. And I think, uh, I know I've been there, and and, uh, I think we could say that. But Saul always had a, maybe not a pocket, maybe a robe full of justification. I don't know, but he always had somebody to blame. He always had a reason why he messed up. But if you remember when David was confronted by the prophet, and the prophet told him the story. And then what did he say? He said, Thou art the man, David. And, of course, in Psalms 51, we see David's reaction, and we see how he realized, he said, My sin is ever before me. And he didn't say, Well, she shouldn't have been where she was at, and I saw her. And he didn't say, Well, uh, the man that was killed, he shouldn't have come back. David said, It was me. I sinned. My sin is ever before me. And, of course, we see how greatly God used David for that. But the calamities he described, Saul was trying to kill him. But I'd like to see the confidence that he declares. He'd seen God work before. And, by the way, hold on to those past experiences. I could tell you, uh, growing up, I, 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 I used the phrase, uh, 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 my, my parents really proved God to us. Uh, can I tell you, as a young boy, I probably didn't go to church because I wanted to go to church. I went to church got scared of mom. And I'd rather be spanked by dad because dad could aim. Mom couldn't aim. She just hit you wherever. And um, But as I grew older, my parents not only made us do things, and I'm so glad I was made to go to church. And I remember, I think, two times I was able to fake it and stay home and watch football. But you know, both times, I was miserable. I think God did that on purpose. I remember two times. Most of the time, you couldn't fake mom out. And get in the car, you got pneumonia. Get, no, I'm joking, but... Uh, Um, But there was times growing up where I only did right because my parents made me. But they proved God and showed God and showed how wonderful he was. And, of course, having to read the scripture, and I was able to make a decision. I don't know. There wasn't necessarily a turning point in my life. But sometime in my life, there was a point where I said, you know, I want to go to church. I want to serve God because I want to serve God. I want to serve God because he's the best. There's nothing else. And I'm not going to serve God because my parents made me. And I'm not, there's nobody now making me go to church. There's nobody making me go to Nigeria. In fact, most people say you're crazy. And um, I've made a decision a long time ago that I want this for me. And I'm thankful for the the confidence that I can declare because of the situations we went through. I can tell you times where uh, dad was sick and couldn't work very much. And there wasn't a lot of money coming in. And uh, not me, but my brothers ate a lot, so they were hard to take care of. And um but where God just showed up. I can tell you people coming in the driveway with a truckload of groceries. My favorite one was a guy, he went bear hunting. This wasn't necessarily to provide a need, but it's just my favorite, because he went bear hunting, and he had a trailer full of Little Debbies that he'd go bait the bears with, and he'd always stop by, and we'd get to fill a trash bag of Little Debbies. And uh, we always ate healthy most of the time, but I hate vegetables. And uh, you text me to see if I had any allergies, and normally what I tell pastors is I'm allergic to vegetables. I just don't have a good reason for it. which, going to Nigeria is not the place to be allergic to vegetables. They have a lot of them. So I'm going to have to suck it up, as my wife says, and uh, get used to that. But uh, the confidence that David declared was from past experience. And I can tell you, and I'm sure each of you in here has some past experience, you saw how God worked in your life. And I remember in Bible college in different times where uh, I saw God work. And there were times growing up where it was always my dad's God and my mom's God. And look what he did for them. But there came a point in my life where, oh, that's my God. And if that God takes care of them, I think he's going to take care of me. Not only because my parents told me, but because the Bible promised me. And I'm thankful for my parents, but this word of God tells me that no matter where I go, God will take care of me. Not that it will always be easy. Do you see the situation David's in? How is he declaring confidence when he's probably, I don't know exactly where he wrote the psalm, but where he's probably in a, in a cave or wherever he was at, and he's declaring the confidence from his past experience. David had been protected from the lion and the bear. David had killed the giant. I love that story. He whacked the guy with a rock. I was at uh, another couple in, in, in my uh, brother's church, an older couple. We went and visited when we were home last. And a friend of theirs had gone over to uh, uh, Jerusalem area and gone over to taking one of those trips with the Holy Lands. And I'd love to do that one day. But he brought back a rock from uh, the, uh, what is it, Kidron? where David uh, killed the giant, where David got the rock from. I think it's probably the rock that killed Goliath, but I don't have any way to prove that. But anyway, they showed it to me, and I thought that was awesome. But uh, this little guy, and I've always loved the underdog story, but this little guy whacks this huge guy who, that guy's job, Goliath's job his whole life was to kill people. He was the ultimate hitman. I mean, uh, Goliath was, that was his job. That's why he, that's his family. That's his heritage. And yet this little shepherd boy whacked him with a rock, And they got his head off with his own sword. That's so awesome. And I love the Bible. And uh, if you notice, some of the movies they make, they don't want to tell you, but some of the stuff is stuff they know from the Bible, and they would never tell you that. But um, that's just so awesome. I don't know why I started talking about that. But the confidence he declares, he'd seen God work. He'd watch God provide. So first, he would not let anything shake him. Secondly, he would not let anything stop him, the people who hated him. There were people here who were after David, and there were people who hated him. Later down the line, we see uh, uh, the ladies shouting that uh, what is it? David had killed his. Uh, Saul had killed his thousands. David had killed his ten thousands. David didn't have a lot of cheerleaders right now. This wasn't at that point, but he still wouldn't let anything stop him. There were people who hated him, and so many people used the opposition as an excuse to quit serving God. They use the op- as if you were serving God for somebody. And by the way, don't do dare serve God because of somebody. You serve God because of the only body, the only person that really, that's God of heaven. And I love making my parents happy. My parents are happy that I'm in the, uh, are trying to be in the center of God's will. But I won't be in the center of God's will for my mom and dad, no matter how much I love them. I do it because God told me to. And uh, that's where I know God would want me. But the people who hated him, David really had a good excuse to quit and go back and be a shepherd. To say, God, find another king of Israel, because I thought the king, I was going to be in a palace and be rich. This isn't that. But David made a decision. He would not let anything stop it. The people who hated it. I'm sure David didn't even understand the hate. Have you ever had somebody mad at you? And I'm sure your pastor can probably attest to this, but somebody mad at you and you have no clue why. Why would you hate me? What did I do wrong? Man, Saul, I just killed the giant for you not too long ago. And you were sitting and you were too scared and uh, you just handed me your armor and that's about all you wanted to do. And so many, I, I played for you, Saul. I can imagine these thoughts and I'm not trying to add to the Bible this morning by any means, but I'm sure David had some of these thoughts. David was just a person. He was a great man, but David was a human being and David didn't understand the hate. I'm sure he wondered why the people hated him, but he wouldn't let anything stop him. The people who hated him, the purpose that held him. And I love this part. David knew he had a purpose. David knew he was going to be the king. I'm sure he wondered at times, "All right, God, are, are you playing a trick on me? You said this is not the kingdom that I imagined." But he knew he'd be the next king. And I love—he knew he couldn't hurt God's. He couldn't hurt God's anointed. After all this, you know, David had opportunity to kill Saul, and uh, remember, he cut off his guard. Even David's men were telling him, "Kill him! I mean, this is the guy who's been uh, chasing you and who uh, kept you away from your family and." But David knew he had a purpose, and he, that purpose held him. And by the way, each of us has a purpose. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. If you're not saved, your purpose in life and your purpose this morning is to get saved. If you're not 100% sure, because God wants the whole world to be saved. And I can't wait to go to Nigeria, but it seems to be I get a burden everywhere I go because I haven't been to a place yet where there's not people lost and on their way to a devil's hell. And I've never been to one of those places yet. And I don't know, maybe that'll come. I doubt it, though. Because wherever there's a creature, I believe that God intends there to be a preacher. And God's purpose in your life this morning is to be saved. But if you are saved, you have a purpose. I'm not saying you need to be a missionary to another country. I'm not saying you need to be a pastor. In fact, probably some of the most influential people in my life were people who worked their 40, 50, 60 hours a week and just showed up to church and taught Sunday school My dad's youth director. He's been youth director for almost 20 years. You probably met Mr. Uh, Todd Botter when you were there. And uh, he's never made a dime from the church. All his vacation time, he always took to take teenagers to youth conferences. And uh, he's a mechanic. He basically does a lot of stuff at the church. And he's never made a dime, and he's never been called to full-time Christian service. But he's lived his life as a full-time Christian. And that's what God's purpose is for everybody. I'd be thrilled if someone this morning was called to go to Nigeria. And I think when you surrender to missions, you're surrendered to anything. Because if you're willing to go to another country or something, you're probably willing to do anything. But whatever it is, you have a purpose. And you have a job that God wants you to do. He would not let anything shake him. He wouldn't let anything stop him. And I love, he wouldn't let anything silence him. Uh, in Psalms 18, verse 3, you don't have to turn there, I'm almost done. Uh, he said, I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. David's praise was not conditional on his circumstances. If David's praise was conditional about where, where he was at the time, David would have been praising God. Humanly speaking, David didn't have anything to praise about. David didn't have anything to thank God about at this point. But so often our praise is conditional, or it's based upon our situation. It's based upon where I'm at determines if I'll praise God. It's not about where we're at determines if we'll praise God it matters that God's still in the same place and He still has the same plan for us. That's why we praise God, not because of where I'm at, but because of who He is. And David realized this. His praise was not conditional on his circumstances. And by the way, uh, I've heard a pastor say, it's a choice to rejoice. And it is our choice. I've seen some of the people going through the most... Uh, I got to visit. Growing up, I'd go Thursday nights. We'd go soul winning, and every other weekend, every other Thursday, we'd go to a nursing home and sing with the youth group. And uh, I got to go to one in St. Johns, uh, St. Johns, Michigan, here. And Hazel Finley—I don't know if some of you may have heard of it. And I grew up going and singing there every every Thursday, once a, one Thursday every month. And I got to go, and I got to see some people who are still there. And uh, I got to see some people, and you know what? There, there are a lot of them who, uh, for some, aren't saved. But there are a few I always remember. And they'd always be happy. And I'm coming in there thinking, why are you happy? But their praise wasn't based upon where they were at in their circumstance. His praise was not confined. His service was not based on his situation. And so often we say, God, I'll serve you if. I'll do this if. I'm thankful David didn't say that. I don't know that I'd be talking about him this morning if David wouldn't have made some of these decisions while he was going through what many of us, I'm sure, could consider probably an incredibly hard time. I'm sure there, if we went around, we've been through some things. In this, uh, every one of you, is, you've been through some things, and you're probably going through some things. But this is a tough situation, yet his heart was fixed. I challenge you this morning. David made a choice to fix his heart. His surrounding area, the people around him, they didn't choose for him. His situation didn't make it easy for him. His circumstances certainly didn't help. David just made a choice. He said, my heart is fixed, God. Because everything changes around us, but he doesn't change above us. And that's what everything was based on for David's service. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thanks so much for who you are. And help us to be like David and, and just, just fix our heart and say, God, I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know what's going on around me. I don't know what happened behind me and why. And I don't know what's going on in front of me, Father. But I'm just going to fix my heart on you. Help us all, including myself, to make that decision. Not only make it, but live it, Father. And In your Son, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.